When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome into Poke the Bear, episode 190, presented by CLNS Media and sponsored by our good friends over at Factor Meals and FanDuel. My name is Connor Ryan, and as you can see, going solo today. Uh, it's the, the week after Christmas, right before New Year's. As I'm sure most of you uh, can attest to, not a lot going on right now. We're, we're taking it easy. If, you, if you're working this week, you know, you're, you're uh, n- not getting overexerted with stuff. You, you're letting those worries and troubles go over into 2024. So we're keeping it pretty low key in this episode. We're not having uh, Evan or Ty or anyone on board. Um, you're stuck with me for this one as I, as I ferry you into uh, the new year. So we figured with this new episode, um, what better time to once again bring back one of our uh, mailbags where you guys send in questions uh, related uh, to anything with the Bruins, and I do what I can to uh, to answer them. So uh, thankfully, uh, for everyone who did send in a few questions, a lot of them related to probably the biggest news of today as we're recording on Friday, which is Georgie Markulov uh, getting called up. We kind of saw the – you could read the tea leaves that he was most likely going to get called up. Um only reason why the Bruins didn't do it yesterday is because I believe the team, uh, Providence, was in Utica, so they wanted to wait for them to get back before sending Merkulov here. But uh, we, we touched on it quite a bit uh, on our latest episode uh, that I recorded with Evan, but um, we'll kind of delve a little bit more into what his role is with this team over these next couple of weeks, um, which you guys sent along those kind of questions. So uh, without further ado, how about we just dive right into it with our first question, which is from Ice Frog, who says, Hi, Connor. The Bruins call up Merkulov, try him out in a top six role. Who do you think is the most likely to move down in the lineup? Who do you think is most likely to move out of the lineup? Also, would they use Merkulov at center or wing? First of all, uh, thanks for the question, Ice Frog. Um, and yeah, I, I think you kind of saw the Bruins approach uh, based on what we saw during lines on Friday at Warrior Ice Arena, which is Merkulov, for the time being at least, is more or less going to slot into uh, the vacancy with uh, where Matt, Matt Potter is on the third line. So uh, Merkulov was uh, third line center next to Frederick and JVR uh, as of Friday. Uh, and as a result, Steen bumps out of the lineup and then Danton Heinen moves down to the fourth line with Lauko and, and Beecher. So um, that seems to be the plan starting off here. And uh, I, I like it in terms of one, you're putting Merkulov in his natural spot. He can play wing, but he's probably at his best as a centerman. And you're putting him with uh, two guys. You know, it's not like you're putting him with. Pasternak or DeBrusque or anything like that, but two, you know, capable NHL veterans who um, can do a lot of damage, especially around the net front, which is where Merkulov is really, really good. Um, even at his age with his lack of experience, really poised with the puck, knows when to bring the puck into grade A ice and can do a lot of damage there. So uh, I like that they're starting off by putting him in that spot. See if he can drive play further down the lineup, which is, I think what you're hoping for uh, what he can bring is kind of this, mid-season spark uh, with this offense right now. And again, it, it's a good problem to have, right? I, 
I don't imagine this is going to be a situation where he's up here for good. Um, listen, if he goes and puts up seven points in five games, then yeah, you change your opinion on it. But I think, especially with Potra out for at least probably another week, maybe a little bit more uh, while he's over at World Juniors, doesn't hurt to put in a, another young player like Merkulov in that spot. At the very least, get him up uh, in the NHL, learn some experience, and see how he does there. And if he still has some seasoning to do, which is to be expected for any young player, um, as soon as Potra comes back, you can either send him down, or if he's playing at a high level, you got a good problem on your hands. Maybe Potra moves to the wing. Maybe Merkulov moves to the wing. If you've got two uh, rookies in your your uh, bottom six, along with a third guy with Beecher, who are all carving out uh, established roles on this team, that's a great problem to have. So I can I kind of see that being their approach, at least out of the gate with Merkulov in this maybe five, six game kind of trial size that they kind of have for him where uh, they want to see whether he can drive play in Potra's spot. And then if he rolls with it and the time comes for Potra to come back, you kick that can a little bit down the road. Cause again, that's a good problem to have. So thank you again for the question. Ice frog. We turn next to Ryan. Great last name. We know it's your first name, I guess, but Ryan asked, uh, Seidenberg and Chara played together despite both being same handed. Why not come to playoffs, play Carlo and McAvoy together and let them ride for 35 minutes a night. Thanks for the question, Ryan. Um, it's definitely a, uh, intriguing option to have, uh, for the Bruins. I mean, listen, you, you mentioned Seidenberg and Chara. I think most Bruins fans would would kill to have a pairing like that again in terms of playing 27, 28 minutes a night, shut down defense. I mean, well, I think we all know the the usual suspects that played a key role on that 2011 team with Chara and, and Bergeron and what have you, but um, Mark Recchi, Horton. But I think Seidenberg's right up there. He was a, a monster throughout that playoff run. And I, I can get the... Uh, the appeal of maybe putting your two probably best defensemen this year, especially I think Carlo has been money all season long, but um, I think the, the biggest issue there is beyond the fact that I think Montgomery is pretty keen on balancing and having, you know, different options there with guys that are, uh, you know, different shots in those spots. I still think they want to keep it more balanced in terms of their top four where they can have, Two very, you know, rather than having maybe one mega pairing, you can have two damn good, you know, pairings. Like it's not to say that, you know, uh, on paper at least, McAvoy with whoever, whether it's Grizzlick who hasn't really been playing at a high level or Lori, that can be a really good pairing in and of itself. And then Carlo and Lindholm last year were arguably the best shutdown pair in the league. And I know Lindholm really hasn't had a strong start to the year, but I was really encouraged by what you saw from him uh, on Wednesday against Buffalo where uh, – looked like kind of the Lindholm of old again, didn't have any points, but you saw how assertive he was with the puck. He was killing plays um, aggressive without, you know, putting himself out in bad spots, making really quick uh, tap passes, getting the puck out of the uh, Bruins defensive zone. So uh, I still think for right now, at least, you know, barring continued struggles for those key cogs, like a Lindholm or a, a Grizzly, I still think Montgomery wants to keep those guys kind of separated out there and um, you know, rather have a really, really strong top four as opposed to a really top-heavy top pairing when, again, you need pretty much everyone to pull on the rope come the postseason. So thank you for the question, Ryan. Uh, we turn next to Moonlight Graham. Great film. Makes makes many men cry. Uh, Moonlight Graham asks, toughness, and are we going to get any? Great question, Moonlight. Uh, listen, it is definitely going to be, I think, a, a work in progress in terms of finding. And again, I, I say toughness. I think what this team needs, especially in today's NHL, is 
uh, tone setters. I, th- I think that's something where whether this team is fallen into a rut, they're in a critical game where all of a sudden you have um, uh, a stretch there where you need a, a response, whether it's a heavy hit, um, uh, a fight, what have you. I think you saw in that game against Minnesota right before the holidays with Lauko where Bruins give up a, a goal to Johansson on the power play. Immediately, Lauko drops the gloves. You guys get a spark from that. And then uh, the Bruins score while Lauko's in the box. Like, I think he had more responses like that. Again, listen, you'll take a guy who's going to land 10, you know, 10 hits a night, of course. But I, I think that the lack of not response, but the, the lack of just guys that can have that momentum shifting play. That's not a tangible goal or what have you. Like, I, I think you see every time in the postseason, there's at least one game where McAvoy has one of those heavy hits. It kind of changes the complexion of a game, but it can't just be him. You know, it can't just be him. It can't just be, you know, I think Frederick's done a pretty good job at, um, you know, answering the bell when needed. And I think Lauko, now that he's finally been cleared to fight, I'm sure you're going to see him kind of muck it up a lot more here, but I think it needs to be a lot more of, of those kind of guys buying in, delivering a big hit when needed and kind of setting the tone when the situation arises again uh, in a perfect situation, you'd have a guy like Lucci chair to do that. I don't see that being the case anymore. So you got to have to make do with what, what you have on this roster and then you kind of see what other options are out there. You know, whether it's, I don't know if you're going to be relinquishing draft assets to get like a, you know, a few years ago when like Delorier was a guy that players coveted or even like a Hathaway, you know, maybe that's a situation when the Bruins view it as, you know, rather than spending premium assets to get a Lindholm or a a top defenseman, you know, maybe it's a situation where um, you get like a fourth line established veteran guy that can maybe make more of an impact on the fourth line with a few younger guys like Lauko and Bicho and see how that kind of maps out. So I could see that. Uh, I know uh, Ty Anderson and I mentioned like picking up maybe really affordable free agents like guy like Wayne Simmons, listen, he's he's pretty cooked, but if you want to bring him on for a league minimum, bring him on the roster and just have him as kind of a physical deterrent, maybe that's a, uh, an avenue you take. So uh, it is something that I think needs to be addressed on this team, whether it's internally or going and finding a guy at an affordable value to, to add to that team. But it is something that you just want to see a little bit more. Again, maybe not overall pushback or, you know, guys that can beat the brakes off of players, but uh, players that can respond and, you know, change the momentum of a game beyond just, you know, a dangle and a snipe in the offensive offensive zone. So I think that is something this team definitely has to uh, keep tabs on as this year goes on. So good question, Moonlight. And uh, before we uh, go on to our next set of questions here, we're going to take a brief break and listen to our good friends over at FanDuel. Shout out once again to our good friends over at FanDuel. All right, next question is from Brian who asked, uh, given the lack of point production from Jake DeBrusque, what's a realistic deal for him look like? And any chance he and the Bees can find some common ground on that, or will he land elsewhere? Uh, great question, Brian. Uh, again, it is probably the the most consequential thing in terms of internally on this roster is getting DeBrusque back playing at a high level. I think you should be encouraged by what you saw on uh, Wednesday in Buffalo. I think that was one of his best games of the year. Gets two two assists on on Coyle's goals. Um, first multi multi point game of the season for him, which is crazy to think about. But uh, beyond that, looked really engaged. Did more of the stuff that we've seen all year, which is you know he's moving his feet, being active. Um, but finally gets rewarded with some tangible points, which is hopefully a step in the right direction. And again, I, I still think this is a situation where um, 
I don't know where exactly the, the best value is for DeBrusque, right, in terms of a deal, because he's not a guy that I think you want to sell short on or, or just move for the sake of thinking that, all right, you don't want to pay him, get anything for him, when, again, he's shooting, I think, 5% this season. It's like, you know, uh, a, what, 8 or 9% below his career average? Like, would you rather, like, stay the course with a guy who's still being a, a solid 2A player that is, the law of averages say he's due for a heater at some point. Again, I think we can probably throw out the 30 goal uh, prediction that I think it had from earlier on this year. But if he heats up and ends the year with 20, you know, 22 goals and, and continues to play really good two way hockey, I think you'd rather keep that than, than selling him for, uh, you know, whatever the return will be. Cause again, I think he has value, even if he is a pending free agent on the trade market, but for the kind of guys that you want to move him for, right? Like you want to move him for a guy like a Elias Lindholm or a, um, you know, Noah Hannafin, one of these guys that can really impact this team that if you're moving a guy like DeBrusque off, makes it worth your while. I can't see like a team like Calgary being someone that necessarily covets a guy who's 27 is a good player, but as a pending free agent, does DeBrusque really want to go to Calgary where that team seems like it's lined for a longer rebuild facilities don't really get rave reviews from uh other players and other teams across the league like i don't know if that's necessarily a team that that wants them. a team probably wants to brusque as a team like uh you know the avalanche or, or a contending team that wants a little bit more of a scoring punch and think that he can break through with them right like i don't know what you're getting from a team like the avalanche that makes it worth what you know DeBrusque can and should be right with this team so again like I feel like we go through the same narrative with DeBrusque where I think he's playing a really strong two-way game, but, but of course, like dude needs to score. And I think you're, if you're the Bruins, you're trying to stay the course here because he's still doing enough that he's not like, you got to take him out of the lineup or he's hurting your overall product on the ice. But uh, you're just hoping that he finally starts, you know, that shooting percentage starts going the other way and he starts burying more of these chances uh, because I still think he's an important part of this team. And I think the Bruins ideally want to keep him. Um, but it will be fascinating to see what's going to happen when um, the time comes for that contract. Because you told me before the year, I was looking more at that Vernon Hagel contract is kind of the the common ground there. If it ends up being like $5 million or something like that for a long-term deal for DeBrusque, I think if you're the Bruins, you probably jump on it. Because even if he's not a 30-goal guy, but is a good two-way player that plays 16, 17 minutes a night, can give you 20 goals, ideally 20-plus. I still think there's some pretty good value there for what he brings to this team. So definitely something worth keeping tabs on. Uh, so once again, uh, thanks for the question, Brian. We move on now to Rob Plowinski, who asks, uh, best game for Freddie last night versus Buffalo. Line changes for top nine, best they've looked in a couple of weeks, which I agree. Uh, should they keep him at center? Uh, thanks for the question, Rob. Uh, I, I think for right now... Uh, I think Frederick has done a pretty solid job playing down the middle. Again, it's his natural position, so he's has no qualms with doing it. Um, I still think ideally the Bruins want to keep him at wing. Um, it's something that we've discussed multiple times, both during training camp and the start of the year where Frederick kind of best fits. And it seems like Montgomery and the Bruins are more inclined to keeping him at wing. I think uh, in spurts, he can do a very good job down the middle, but it seems like for Montgomery's approach, um, the, the most important thing is, is keeping Frederick playing a simplified game, right? When he tries to either do too much or uh, gets kind of caught up in a lot of the, you know, greater details of playing at center, uh, sometimes he can kind of get away from his game or tries doing too much. And I think we've all seen now at this point with Frederick, when he's at his best, when he's playing really simple, uh, 
uh, hockey, getting to the front of the net. Again, knowing guys were not going out of his way to do it, kind of letting the the chaos kind of come to him. That's usually how I think he's at his best, as opposed to maybe earlier earlier on in his career when he was kind of like a heat-seeking missile trying to to get under the skin of opponents. So I think ideally they want to keep him at wing. That's where I think you saw most of his success last year. It just depends on who's going to be a centerman, right? Because, uh, again, Coyle's done a really good job this year, but I still love when he plays with uh, Frederick. I think that's a really, really strong pairing uh, in terms of building out your roster. But who knows if Merkulov plays well with him or Patra comes back energized. I think they still want to keep him on the wing and have him kind of playing that simplified hockey that really benefited him and the Bruins last year. So uh, thanks for the question, Rob. We go next to CJ Kelly, who asks, once the World Juniors is over, how will the Bruins determine if Padra had a good tournament and they got what they wanted by sending him? Time on ice, points, playing on both sides of the puck, leadership. Uh, and you, you also ask, uh, if Merck is brought back and stays, what happens to the lineup once Patra is back? So uh, good question, CJ. I think for the Bruins, it's all about confidence, right? I, I think for them, um, you saw with Patra earlier on this year uh, when he was kind of accelerating his timeline and stamping his spot in this lineup. A lot of it had to do with just how poised and confident he was with the puck, even as a 19-year-old. And it's not to say that he's uh, that's been few and far between, but you've had less games where he's had these really dominant shifts where he doesn't look like a 19-year-old out there, right? Where he's uh, making guys miss up high, uh, holding onto the puck, winning board battles, and bringing the puck into grade-A ice and letting his natural talent take over. And I think for them, that that's how they're going to uh, weigh just how much he's built off of this experience of world juniors where he's a top line center. He's helping team Canada, hopefully, uh, you know, take home a medal there during that tournament. And I think if you're playing with confidence and poise, all the other stuff plays out, right? Like you're playing confident. You're going to get more ice time. You're going to naturally get more points. Um, you're going to improve both sides of your, your overall game and work on your 200 foot game. So I think for them, that's the biggest key. I think confidence is the the most important thing that they're hoping to kind of re-spark with him going into this second half of the year and give him a little bit more juice going into uh, this kind of grueling stretch of the season. Uh, and if he's playing confidently, all the rest of that stuff's going to show itself, right? Like, it's not like a guy who's not confident all of a sudden is going to go on a heater. He's going to all of a sudden start averaging 15-plus minutes a night. Like, I think once you're playing to your strengths and feeling good about your game, the rest kind of solves itself. And then if uh, when Padre comes back and Mark is still up here, it's a great problem to have, right? Then all of a sudden you're looking at, um, you know, does a guy like uh, Lauko or, or Heinen slot out of the lineup and you push a guy down there? I still think um, whether it's Merkulov or Patra, that can be a lot of intrigue there as to one of those guys moving to the wing. Um, and all of a sudden you've got a, a bottom six that has a lot of young talent that if they're proving their worth up here, you got a pretty good situation on your hands, not just for this year in terms of that offensive upside, but especially in the years ahead. Because I think especially with a guy like Merkulov has been a really present, pleasant surprise because you you look at, obviously, Patra, no one expected him to be a 19-year-old guy up in the NHL. But Merkulov's a guy that we've heard the, the script on him for a long time now, right, where it's uh, really offensively gifted had a lot to work on defensively and all the credit to him. He's made a lot of strides in that department. So again, I don't think he's going to be winning any Selkies in the, in the future, but if Markulov can be a steady two-way player and that offensive instincts that has made him such a, a coveted prospect can play out at the NHL level, you got a very good player in your hands. If you're the Bruins. All right. Thanks for the question, CJ. Um, as we kind of go into the final stretch here, uh, let's take another brief break. 
get from our good friends over at Fact of Meals. Shout out once again to our friends over at Factor Meals. All right, uh, we have a, quite a few questions, so we'll kind of wrap it up with these uh, last two here. So one from Nathan Rowe, who asks, uh, do you think Laura has done enough to stay in Boston when Grizz and Forbert are healthy? Great question, Nathan. Um, and it's definitely, I think, something that if you asked me back in November when he was sent down the first time, I'd be like, I really like Laura's game. I can see the potential. Uh, you've got a potential top four stalwart on your hands, but... I think when you look at his defensive game, still a lot to work on there that I wouldn't be so confident in putting him in there. Again, got guys that are injured, without a doubt, first guy up. You want him playing uh, minutes when needed up here. Um, but now I think I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm ready to fully say that he deserves to stay up here full time yet. But I think what I've been really encouraged with so far over this kind of second stint he's been with the team is that the defensive game has been a lot improved. And again, not to say that it's perfect. Again, the guy is uh, switched to defense when he was 17 years old. Like uh, he is already a, a, a plays a position that needs a lot of refinement, has a really long development curve, and he's already you know kind of playing catch up uh, in terms of just the amount of years and reps he's had. So I think patience has to be prescribed with a guy like Lori. But all the credit to him. You know, this is a, a player that if you listen to our podcast earlier on this year, we, we were talking about Lori being like, hey great prospect, a really intriguing guy. I mean, six, five offensive defenseman, not a lot out there uh, that have that profile, but give him a full year in Providence, let him learn the ropes and, and, you know, check back in 2024, see if he's ready. He accelerated his timeline with a really strong preseason, uh, you know, showed his uh, potential at spurts during that first stint. But then like in the second uh, time up with Boston, now defensive game has been a whole lot better. Uh, Bruins outs were outscored by opponents 13 to seven when Laura was on the ice over those first 12 games, last six games, he's been back up here. Uh, Bruins have outscored teams five, one. So, uh, that's a sign of, a, I think a really good young player. Um, when obviously the potential, the talents there, we all know that, but when you have a young player that can hit those, you know, expected bumps in the road and can immediately learn from it, not just over the span of a year, but, over a month or so in terms of making those corrections. Um, that's very encouraging to see. So I'm still not ready quite yet. Like, again, it all comes down to like how healthy guys like Grizzly and Forbert arcs. I think that's been the case all year. Um, I think Forbert's had a really, really good season as well. So I can't see him being a guy that'll be the odd man out. We know how good he is on the PK, but his five on five numbers have been really, really good uh, so far this season as well. Uh, Krizik's kind of the wild card, right? Because um, when he's healthy, he still has a lot of value to this team, especially when he's with McAvoy. Just hasn't been the case this year. So if he's back uh, eventually in the lineup, Grizzlick, and the results still aren't there, especially with McAvoy, when you know those two are playing at a high level together, they're one of the best pairings in the league, uh, at least during the regular season. Um, if those returns still aren't really there, then that's when I think you. Uh, you give Laura an extended look. So I think they're going to give Grizzly a long leash once he's back healthy to kind of reset, you know, reset and reassert his value to this team in the lineup. But if their turns aren't there in just a, you know, a few weeks or months down the road, I could see it being the situation where maybe a guy like Laura does leapfrog him, if, especially if Laura continues to make these strides defensively. So uh, thanks for the question, Nathan. And our last one uh, is a question from Mama Kars, who asks, what is Jake Brust's future with the Bruins? Production seems down this year, although he looked good last game. Uh, and you also have a follow-up. So we kind of talked about uh, DeBrus' future. I still think ideally the Bruins want to keep him on board. I think um, Montgomery's been pleased with his overall 
two-way game. You know, he's not doing enough to take him out of the lineup, right? Like he's still like not costing you games, I would say, but there's been a lot of times where an extra goal or two from DeBrusque would either get you a win outright or would save you from a few of these white knuckle third periods where you're frantically protecting a one goal lead. You're expending energy in November and December. Um, and, and that's been huge for this team is you just haven't gotten that necessary scoring depth to put you over the top in some of these situations. So um, I think ideally they want to keep him again, like in terms of a trade, I just don't know what you're going to get as a proper return for a pending free agent for a team that um, one, you know, wants him long-term or, or targets him this year, like a, a contending team. And you're going to get a return that maximizes what the value is for giving up a, a top six guy that should be in your lineup for the foreseeable future. So again, what's that next contract going to be? It's going to be the big question. Um, Cause you hope that I think for the Bruins sake uh, that he gets on a bit of a heater here in the second half. And hopefully that game against the Sabres is a bit of a, a jumping off point for him. But uh, I, I think ideally they want to keep him here long-term and, and view him as a guy that can give you 20 goals in a, in most seasons uh, once his shooting percentage doesn't, go in the tank as it's been this year. But uh, I think that they still view him as a really strong two-way guy that um, you can pencil into their, into your top six grouping for the foreseeable future. So I think ideally they want to keep him here. It just depends on what that contract's going to be. And then your follow-up is who hands out the chicken wings during post-game interviews? Uh, great question. Uh, I know the last time the Bruins were in Buffalo last season and Swain was eating Buffalo uh, wings during his interview, I believe it was Olmark. Uh, a guy who spent a few years in Buffalo, I'm sure knows quite a few good spots to grab some wings there. I think he was the one giving out the wings last time. Couldn't confirm uh, this most recent one who it was, but if I had to guess, I would assume it'd be a guy who's got those Buffalo ties like old Mark is once again doing that again. So maybe that's a, a running trend whenever they uh, make it to Buffalo, which seems like a probably a highlight of that trip if you're going up there. So no disrespect to Buffalo, but you guys know. Anyway, that is uh, that will wrap up our uh, our latest episode, episode 190 of Poke the Bear. Uh, again, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for those who sent in their questions. Um, again, as we go into the new year, uh, we can't thank you guys enough for all of your support, whether it's uh, speaking for myself, Evan, Ty, everyone who uh, takes part in these podcasts on both Poke the Bear and Bruins Beat. Uh, we can't do it without you guys and your support. So, uh, once again, thank you all for listening, uh, reading our stuff, uh, tweeting at us, all that stuff. It really is appreciated for everything that we do. Um, and we love the uh, opportunity we have to connect with you guys and to cover this great sport. So uh, once again, thank you all uh, so much for uh, listening on this latest episode. I will see you all in 2024. <laughs>